Genesis, Genesis 17. I'll read verses 1 through 8. When Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared unto Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God, walk before me, and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and I will multiply thy thy, thee exceedingly. And Abram, fe Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceedingly fruitful, and will make thee make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between, between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, in their generations, for an everlasting covenant, to be a, to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed and after thee. And I will give unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Good evening. It is a blessing to be together once again this Lord's Day. We are thankful for your interest in being with the people of God and being able to take some time out of your day and your schedules to be able to be here to worship our God again with brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's incredibly encouraging to everyone here to see you, to see your smiling face. And we're so glad that we are able to be together once again this Lord's Day. We couldn't describe the Bible as a unified story that leads to Jesus. And that is not an original statement with me, but I think it is a very good statement that from beginning to end, there is really one grand theme that the Bible is trying to convey and tell us. Now, there are other little strands and threads that we could... Uh, See, and that sometimes we get lost in the story. We sometimes can't see the forest because of the trees, because of the twists and the turns that are along the way. But it's my personal conviction that we can see this unified story play out through a study of some of the important covenants that God Made. I appreciated the reading that Josh had at the beginning of service in our call to worship from Psalm 111 that praise God for being a God who is faithful to remember His covenants. That is something that is noteworthy about God. And I think it plays a huge part and a huge role in how the story of the Bible plays out in conveying that grand and central theme. And if we can understand some of the important covenants that are made in the Scriptures, I think it helps simplify the story. It helps us navigate some of the complicated terrain like the prophets or in the divided kingdom. And we can see how even in those things, the, the, in, in those parts that are more difficult, 
where it begins to be a little bit more difficult to see what is God trying to accomplish here. We can still, if we have this as our guide, understanding God and the covenant promises that He makes, then I think we are better prepared. And we can see how Jesus fulfills what God initiated on the early pages of the Bible. And so this evening I want us to think and by starting out by just understanding that God is a God who makes covenants. That is what He does. That whenever you read in the Scriptures, you read about a God who makes a covenant. And that word covenant, we, some, we may not know what that means. That is a word that might just kind of be relegated to a, a church word. That's something that we use here at the church building, but we don't use it all that often or extremely often in other places and in other contexts. But the English word covenant is used 321 times in the New American Standard Bible. At least it may it would be something similar in most other translations. I'm certain, but I just did a search in the New American Standard Bible. It's first found in the book of Genesis in chapter six, verse eighteen, where God makes a covenant with Noah to save him and his family. And the word really just means it's a, it's a pact, it's a compact, it's a treaty or an alliance, and it's some kind of agreement or pledge usually between two different parties. And oftentimes there are going to be conditions that both parties are subjecting themselves to meet. They're committing themselves to make some commitments. And it's interesting that you can see the covenant and the purpose of the covenants that are oftentimes made. There is one lexicon that they suggested that the reason or the motivation for making a covenant is often to create a relationship of friendship, which I find interesting because of how in the covenant that God sought to make with Abraham, we learn in the book of James, Abraham is called the friend of God. God seeks to make covenants with people because He wants a relationship with people. That's extremely important for us to understand and to begin to to see how God works in trying to formulate a plan of salvation, a scheme by which He can redeem the human race from sin. And the covenants begin, I believe, early on in the Bible. And while it's not explicitly named a covenant, I think it fits the criteria of a covenant. In the book of Genesis in chapter 2 and in verse uh, verses 15-17, through 17, when God made Adam and He placed him in the garden that was in Eden, He told him that from any tree of the uh, garden he may eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil he shall not eat. Because if he did, then he would die that day. And I think that gives us some parameters and some expectations of how a covenant would work there are going to be laws or commandments that are associated with the covenant most often. And then you have to recognize that on the other side of that, law is the expectation of obedience to that law. You have to obey the terms of the covenant. And there's oftentimes, not in every case, but oftentimes there's a sign that is associated with the covenant about that in a few moments. But you have the covenant that's made with 
Noah, and that is explicitly called a covenant in Genesis chapter 6 and in verse 18, when God says in giving the instructions to Noah about the construction of the ark, He says, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And he goes on to describe the author of Genesis how Noah did according to God's commandments. And so here in the same context is the language of covenant and commands and obedience. That really, I think, gives us some idea of what we need to be associating with this concept of covenants. And God gave a covenant with Noah. He created this compact with him, a, a treaty, if you will, or an alliance with him in order to save him and his household from the flood that was to come. You have the covenant that God uh, made with the created world in Genesis chapter 9. Whenever um, after Noah and his family come off of the ark, God, he says in verse 9, now behold, I myself do establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you. All of that that comes out of the ark, even every beast of the earth. He says again in verse 11, I establish my covenant with you and all flesh shall never again be cut off by the water of the flood Neither shall there be again be a flood to destroy the earth. That God makes this covenant in which He agrees that I will not destroy the earth by flood water again. And there He gives a sign of the covenant, the rainbow. He makes that as a sign, as a sign of remembrance that we can call to memory the promise and the covenant that God has made. It's a very beautiful sign that He gives us as a reminder of what God is willing to do. And we need to begin to recognize that as God makes these covenants, as He is making promises, that the covenants are defined by the promised blessings associated with the covenants. That's something that is critical for us to, to begin to understand as we see these covenants take place and as they are being made. He makes several more covenants. The covenant with Abraham, that's the one that we're going to be studying tonight, so we won't say much about that at this present moment. But he also makes a covenant with Israel in Exodus chapter 19 when the children of Israel are led to Mount Sinai and God gives them the, the law and the giving of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 19. And in verse 5, notice here in this verse, in Exodus chapter 19 and in verse 5, it says, Now then, this is God speaking, He says, Now then, if you will indeed obey My voice and keep My covenant, then you shall be My own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is Mine. He tells them that He expects them to obey the terms of the covenant. And so again, you see the giving of the law, the laws and the commands. In chapter 20, you have the Ten Commandments. That God gives the terms or the expectations of the covenant, the laws or the commands, and then He expects obedience on the other side of that. 
obeying the terms of covenant. In Psalm 89, David reflects on the promise that God makes with him and he calls it a covenant. That one of his descendants would sit on the throne forever over an eternal and an everlasting kingdom. That is a reflection on the covenant that God made with David where he specifies that one of his heirs will sit on the throne. And that helps us understand many of the things that we read about in the New Testament concerning Jesus Christ. So you see that Jesus, that God makes covenants with people. And we call ourselves, or sometimes we might call ourselves, or rightfully so, a new covenant people. That we are under a new covenant, a better covenant, as it is explained in the book of Hebrews, where we are under a new covenant, a covenant that is different and better because it has better promises associated with it that the Hebrew writer is able to talk about. And the implication is that the first covenant, the old covenant, is temporary. And this one is everlasting. It's an eternal covenant that God has made. And what I hope this just impresses upon you is that God is a God who makes covenants. This is how God interacts with His people, with His creation. He seeks to establish this in a way that He can establish a relationship with us. That He can have fellowship with us. He can have a friendship with us. And that is the goal of the covenant. And this evening I want us to take a step back and I want us to study the covenant that God made with Abraham. Because I believe this is perhaps the single most important covenant at least in its importance because it is the first one that has a huge impact for us in navigating the rest of the Scriptures. Because it is extremely important for us to begin to be shaped in our understanding of the expectations that we would come to other passages in the Old Testament. Where we might get references to God's promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. That is language that should remind us of the covenant. And so God made a covenant with Abraham as we read in Genesis chapter 17 this evening. How God established a covenant with Abraham. And this is the first time that it is explicitly called a covenant, I believe, We will see signs of it earlier, and we'll talk about that this evening. But Genesis chapter 17, it's very clear that God says in in verse 2, that I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. These promises that God has relaying to, to Abraham, He has been relaying them to Him for about 25 years. 
but here it's explicitly for the first time called a covenant. And this covenant was containing the promises and blessings that God was seeking to establish that would be passed down to Abraham's descendants. In verse 7, he says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. This covenant was not going to just be Uh, something that would be fulfilled and completed in the lifespan of Abraham, but that it was going to have uh, effects from here on out among his generations that would follow after him and his descendants. And part of the promise that God was making in this covenant was that He was going to give him the land of Canaan to possess. He tells us in verse 8, I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So he's saying this is about, I'm going to give you the land, and ultimately this is about identifying Abraham and God. That the God of Abraham The God of Israel is God. The God of heaven. God Almighty as He calls Himself here in this text. That this covenant would be the identification of God as their God. The covenant was about establishing this relationship with Abraham and with Abraham's descendants. And the Lord, the God of heaven, In the book of Psalms, in Psalm 105, I invite you to be turning there with me. In Psalm 105, we see in this psalm of praise for God's actions and what He has done in His works and His power, the call to worship Him. In Psalm 105, and beginning in verse 8, He has remembered His covenant forever the word which He commanded to a thousand generations, the covenant which He made with Abraham and His oath to Isaac, then He confirmed it to Jacob for a statute to Israel as an everlasting covenant. You see that this covenant is being passed down, don't you? That's so important for us to just stop and appreciate while it might be a very basic fact, it's something important for us to stop and appreciate as we continue to read our Bibles, the book of Genesis. We need to have this expectation that this is going to develop the story of the covenant that God made with Abraham. And so he tells them that God made this covenant and He passed it down with an oath to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob. In verse 11, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan and the portion of your inheritance when there were only a few men in number. Very few and strangers in it. And they wandered about from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people. He permitted no man to oppress them, and he reproved kings for their sakes. Do not touch my anointed ones, and do my prophets no harm. That God was vowing to offer his protection for Abraham and for his descendants. That This is about a unique relationship that God was saying, I am going to align myself with Abraham. 
It's an amazing thing that God, the God who created the world, is willing to do that. That He was willing to align Himself with this man. Not because of anything that He had done that was worthy of it, but because He saw something in Him. He saw a man who would be a man of faith and obedience. That Abraham would obey and do as God says. In Genesis chapter 12 is where we first find the promises that God was making to Abraham. The promises that were part of this covenant. This is one of those key chapters in all of the Bible because God introduces the covenant to Abraham. But what is interesting is that He continually narrows the parameters of the covenant. He speaks in pretty wide, broad, general terms here in Genesis chapter 12. But He's going to narrow things down as we will see this evening. That this covenant that God was making with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and in verse 1, now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. He tells him to get up and leave Ur of the Chaldees in Mesopotamia and to travel to this land that he has never been to. The land that I will show you. The land of Canaan. And so Abraham was obedient, as the Hebrew writer would tell us in Hebrews chapter 11. He went out and obeyed. But as Abraham begins to actually live in that land, and he's a sojourner, he's living in tents in the land of Canaan, we find out that that's the specific land that God is promising to him. In Genesis chapter 13 and verse 14, it says, The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, and eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. Now, in chapter 12, God says, go to this land I'm going to show you. Now Abraham's there. So he's saying, alright, now just look all around. Look everywhere. Look every direction. This is the land I am giving to you. This is it. And you see the narrowing of this promise that gets more and more specific as he continues on to describe this. He goes on in verse 17. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. It's amazing that God says, I want you to act by faith. I want you to walk all over this land. I want you to see what I am going to give to you. And so you first see this part of the promises that God makes with Abraham. And then secondly, you see there's the promise of the great nation. In chapter 12, he says, and I will make you a great nation. And it's if you don't think that God has a sense of humor or that God doesn't appreciate irony, He is saying that to a man who had no children. That I'm going to make you a great 
nation, a man who is 75 years old and who has no children. He's saying, I'm going to make from you a great and mighty nation. And in chapter 13, in the text that we just read, in verse verses 15 and 16, in chapter 13 and verses 15 and 16 of the book of Genesis, he says, For all the land which you see, I will give to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Again, Abraham does not have a child at this point. But God says, I am going to multiply your descendants that if you were able to number and to count the dust on the earth, that's how numerous I am going to make your descendants. It's kind of interesting that later, as God becomes more and more specific about the covenant that He is making with Abraham, He tells him that he's not just going to be the father of one nation, but that he's going to be the father of many nations. In chapter 17, in chapter 17 and in verse 5, he says, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. But you have to begin to start asking yourself. And there in chapter 17, Abraham's 99 years old and still no child yet. At least God has given him. You have to begin to start wondering, when is this going to happen? How is this going to take place? It's going to obviously require an heir, and Abraham was no fool. He understood that. He understood that whenever God was saying, I'm going to make of you a great nation, notice in chapter 15, in sort of this crisis of faith, if you will, for Abraham, where he is being told to not fear that your reward shall be very great, Abraham says to God, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. He understood that if this is going to be a fulfilled promise, then there is going to have to be a child or an heir somewhere along the way. And you begin to see this become more and more specific. That what God then tells him in chapter 17, when the covenant is given, when God says, I am making my covenant with you and I am establishing it with you, He tells him that your wife, Sarah, she is going to bear a child. In chapter 16, you get this kind of unusual story where Sarah says, here is my slave, Hagar. You go sleep with her and perhaps we'll help God out. 
That wasn't going to cut it. God specifies, again, He narrows the parameters in chapter 17 and in verse 15. Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and indeed, I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. So it's going to be through Sarah that you have a child, a son. You continually see the narrowing of the promises. Now they get more and more specific. And then, if you turn back to Genesis chapter 12, in verse 3, God says, And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. One family... One man who would have a family, one family to bless all nations. And ultimately that promised child would come. Isaac would be born. And then in chapter 22, another extremely important moment in the life of Abraham and another important chapter in the Bible for us to remember is... When God called Abraham, remember that son I promised you? I want you to go and offer him as a burnt offering. And Abraham, by this point, he had seen what God was capable of doing. Took a man who was a hundred years old, and with a wife who was ninety years old, and was able to bless them with a child. He had seen some amazing things happen along the way. He had seen how God was with him. And so without any hesitation, he began to obey. Of course, God stopped him from harming his son. And in chapter 22 and in verse 16, as the Lord was speaking with Abraham said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. He is again reiterating the terms of the covenant promise that He had made. That that all families of the earth would be blessed. All nations of the earth would be blessed because of Abraham's obedience. You see that, don't you? And in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now this is where the covenant gets to be kind of interesting. Because... The great nation, it was going to require an heir, wasn't it? It was going to require Abraham to have a child. And then the third promise that 
through you, through your seed, all families, all nations of the earth will be blessed. What is happening here is those two promises are getting interwoven. That they are going to be working together throughout the rest of the Scriptures, throughout the rest of the Bible. Those two promises are going to be hand in hand, seeking to work together. And so... Isaac, Abraham and Isaac's lineage would grow through the nation that would come from them, the nation of Israel. Since Isaac was the beginning of that great nation, he was the child of promise that would bring about a blessing to all families and nations. These two threads of the promise are interrelated and they're going to continue to work together. And so they would grow through the nation of Israel. And in the prophet Isaiah, I think this helps us begin to understand and to navigate some of the terrain of the language of the prophets and what they were laying out the program of what God was trying to accomplish with Israel. That Israel was really not the end of itself, but that they were a means to the end. And that end, as Isaiah would reflect and say in Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 6, he says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. That Israel was to become the light to the nations, but it was for a purpose. So that salvation could be given to all people of the earth and that that blessing might be received to all people and all nations. And you begin to see the Abrahamic covenant fulfilled. That God has narrowed the parameters of the covenant. He has set the expectations He has had to correct Abraham on occasion to convey that no, this is not how it's going to be done. It's not going to be done the ways that you think. It's going to be accomplished by God's will. And so God faithfully begins to fulfill the promises to Abraham. I think in a very explicit way we see that when Isaac is born. Isaac is born in Genesis chapter 21 and verse 2. And we see that there is great joy because of the fulfillment of God's promise then. That there was an heir. That Abraham and Sarah both together have a child. But then as the pages of Scripture begin to turn and as the story begins to develop and as you see the children of Israel grow to become an independent nation and as they are out of the Egyptian slavery and bondage and as they begin to take the promised land. In the book of Joshua is the account of the conquering of the land and the book of Joshua in chapter 23 and in verse 14, it's important to see here that author says, Now behold, today I am going the way of all the earth, as Joshua is speaking. 
And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. All have been fulfilled. For you, not one of them has failed. Joshua is acknowledging that as they go into the land that God is fulfilling His promises to them. And it's interesting as he continues on in chapter 24 and in verse 3, he goes back to the beginning of the promises. He goes back to talk about Abraham and how God took Abraham and how He led him to the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. And you get Moses and Aaron and the children of Israel as they continue to grow and how God has delivered them out of Egyptian slavery. And how now they are prepared to take the land. He says in verse 11, You crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the citizens of Jericho fought against you. And the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Girgashite and the Hivite and the Jebusite Thus I gave them into your hand. God was fulfilling this promise of the land. Abraham's descendants conquered the land of Canaan. And they settled there. In Joshua, he says, not one of the promises that God made concerning you has failed. God has been faithful And He has given you the land. And then you see that the seed that would bless all nations came through Israel. Jesus the Messiah. We just concluded a study of the Gospel of Matthew. But one of my favorite things perhaps more particularly in the New Testament, I love to look at the genealogy of Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 1, in verse 1, the record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That Jesus, the way that the Old Te- the New Testament begins is by linking it with the promise that God made with Abraham. Isn't that fascinating? And as you continue to read throughout the New Testament in the book of Galatians, in Galatians chapter 3, in Galatians the third chapter, the Apostle Paul, as he's talking about justification and our salvation, he talks about how Abraham was justified by faith and that this was in accordance with the covenant that God made with him. In verse 8, he says, the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the Gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. He goes on in verse 14, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And he goes on in verse 16, now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. And he goes on to make a pretty particular argument there. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, plural, but 
to one and to your seed. You go back to Genesis chapter 22 and verse 18, and that's exactly what God said. And to your seed, through your seed, one, I will bless all nations. And very explicitly in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 9, in this moment when the Apostle Paul is explaining the Gospel and how God's plan and promises have all been fitted together. He says that he's in great anguish, Paul is. Because not all Israelites have believed. Not all the Jews have accepted Jesus as the Messiah. And he's in great pain. He says in verse 3, For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated for Christ, my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption as sons, and the glory and the covenants, and the giving of the law and the temple service promises, whose are the fathers and from whom is Christ according to the flesh, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. Paul, he gets it here, doesn't he? That the covenant and all these things that God has laid in order, it was to bring about the Messiah, Jesus, so that all nations could be saved. All people can enjoy salvation. He's saying God has fulfilled His end of the bargain. God bless forever. Amen. In Genesis chapter 17, God made an incredibly important covenant with a man named Abraham. Probably some 4,000 or more years ago. And yet, we are still part of that covenant and that promise. We are the continuation of that covenant promise that God made. And when we see Jesus and recognize Him as the fulfillment of that covenant. We see how God is faithful and how God fulfills His Word and His promises. And we have assurance that God will be faithful and aid us when we need Him. When we are tempted, God is faithful. When we sin, God is faithful and just show and extend His mercy to us. He is willing to include us and to save us and to bless us because of our faith in His Son. The story of Abraham and the covenant that God made with Abraham is important, to say the least. That... God made a covenant with Abraham. 
and its impact continues on to this very moment. And it will continue on until Jesus returns. This evening, you have to ask yourself, are you, have you become a part of that covenant story? And you can, if you choose to believe in the one that God promised to Abraham that would bless all nations. The seed that would come, Jesus, the Messiah. If you will come in faith and obedience, believing in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, God promises to forgive you of your sins and to call you His child. And tonight, if you have already made those steps, but you've not been living faithfully for Him, and you need to make some changes in your life, and you need to repent of some sin that is continuing and ongoing in your life, we're here to help you and encourage you. If we can help you in some way tonight, we'd come as we stand and as we sing. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. No, none go with.